This is Public Occurrences, both foreign and domestic. And now your host, Michael O'Fallon. Today, we are going to give a brief introduction to the actual end goals of what is the impetus of global projects like Build Back Better and The Great Reset. And the end goal is called the Fourth Industrial Revolution. But just like everything else in the realm of Klaus Schwab, the Democrats, George Soros, and China, the soft, embraceable name of the thing that the totalitarians are trying to bring in is just a facade of something quite ugly and quite monstrous. But that is why they give embraceable names to Black Lives Matter, which is actually the front of a Marxist revolutionary group. Diversity, equity, and inclusion, which is a way of creating entryism into the workplace. The Great Reset, which is a way to reset all of our systems, to end capitalism, and to move us into a totalitarian state. And the Fourth Industrial Revolution. Well, we are in the process of being coerced through a human metasystem transition. And metasystem transitions are events representing the evolutionary emergence of a higher level of organization through the integration of subsystems into a higher metasystem. And metasystems are generally understood first through mediums of communication that work as functions of control, like language, let's say. And so if you would like to be able to start taking apart someone's language or the meanings behind words then you deconstruct. The same would be the case with writing, speaking, or reading. And this communication in turn affects physical actions or things that require energy that turn into the action guided by mediums of communication, such as agriculture, let's say, distribution, industry, education, and even faith. And these things need order. They need organization. So in past eras where traveling great distances was not what populations engaged in more than once or twice in their lives, we had a human organization as tribes in ages past, which led to chiefdoms and kingdoms in our development post-Westphalia. But Westphalia really codified the sovereignty of nations. And then lastly, as our communication became broader and distributed, mankind evolved into the nation-state concept. So, really, you go from being agrarian first, then distributive, then industrial. But let's also understand our industrial revolutions. As this transition into the fourth industrial revolution, and hence the Great Reset. Like the first industrial revolution, steam power factories... The second industrial revolution's application of science to mass production and manufacturing. The use of gas and oil to run things. The third industrial revolution's start into digitization. Well, the fourth industrial revolution's technologies, such as artificial intelligence, genome editing, augmented reality, robotics, 3D printing, but also the transition of humans. The merging of humans with technology. And not just the use of technology, but the actual synthesis of humans and technology. 
It will also rapidly change the way humans create, exchange, and distribute economically. And as occurred in the previous revolutions that we have just spoken of, it's going to profoundly transform our institutions, our industries, and us individually. More importantly, this revolution will be guided by the choices that people are going to make today. Because the Fourth Industrial Revolution heralds a series of social, political, cultural, and economic upheavals that will unfold over the 21st century. Building on the widespread availability of digital technologies that were the result of the Third Industrial or Digital Revolution, the Fourth Industrial Revolution will be driven largely by the convergence of digital, biological, and physical innovations. Everything will be forced to change. All systems in the past, economic systems, our systems of communication, well, all of those are obsolete, and they must bend the knee of submission to the new systems. And hence, to achieve this, all old systems will be declared corrupt, racist, possibly broken. Well, the fourth industrial revolution is distinguishable from the third because it is where the human being meets with the cyber world, where technology and people are not distinct. We are not separate. Well, we had the personal computer and we had a life. If you remember back in the 80s and 90s and even early 2000s. But now we've transitioned to an age where our devices and sensors will become an extension of us. Because, as I've said in the past many times, Facebook is an extension of us. Twitter is an extension of us. Our phones are an extension of you and me. Our smartwatches are extensions of who we are and what we do. This fourth industrial revolution has the same triggers as the third revolution, but it's where cyber meets human this time. It's the same in businesses. It's the same in the workplace. Everything gets integrated, customized, and smart automated. And if you are listening, by the way, right now, you will have to excuse the planes overhead. I am not home, and I'm in some place where I'm just underneath a jetway. But back to the subject, the Industrial Revolution 4.0 automates complex tasks. It is the age of the Internet of Things and cloud computing. So, where the first three what you would call revolutions were mainly about empowering organizations, almost all innovation in the last few years has been driven by the consumer and is now really about changing organizations. When I say organizations, I don't just mean businesses. I also mean nations, nation-states. So when we look at the changes that are taking place, this next properly called revolution will be in an invisible world. So far, there are three main revolutions that have all been very visible. We could see the tablets, the iPhones, the wearables. They were all visible. But increases in our capabilities are empowered by technology that moves further really out of sight, it becomes invisible. So innovation has come from the shift to the cloud. Invisible processing, power, storage, and intelligence. 
More innovation will come from what's happening inside and around the device versus the object we can actually see. Artificial intelligence, powerful algorithms, cloud computing. So an ecosystem of computing will surround us, becoming so natural, it will just about disappear into the background. It will become completely intrusive. It will fit into more parts of our world and attempt to solve all of our problems without the slightest bit of human interaction. In other words, you won't be controlling the devices. You won't be controlling the intelligence. It will be controlling you. So unlike the other industrial revolutions, those industrial revolutions benefited mankind to help us to become more educated, to be more mobile, and to be more autonomous. So what's happening in the fourth industrial revolution, and the irony of the whole thing is that it will control us more so than we control it. It will work seamlessly with itself, and we must learn to work within our new digital master that will need totality, sort of a digital totalitarianism, to operate properly. Hence now the announcements of Neuralink by Elon Musk being available as early as next year. So we've talked about these things uh, in previous episodes in the last several years on the causes of things. And also when we started pointing even back in 2017 to H.G. Wells and what he would call a world brain. It was a brain that does our thinking for us. And maybe those things seemed very science fiction-y and as if they were way out there and Mike's really going off his rocker. No, folks, it's right here, right now. The thing is, is that most of us just don't even realize that it's here. And it doesn't seem like a possibility. So to succeed, all of these plans will need to be synergized in connectivity. So constant connectivity and an all-in, let's say, from every human being on the planet to be truly effective. There really can't be one stray molecule outside of the control of the new system because the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, in essence, is complete. It is total. And it must be measured in mathematical with an egalitarian and equity-based basis for human interaction. And now, maybe seeing what is happening around you right now might start to be making some sense. So economies, national borders, those sorts of things aren't just transitioning. It's also transitioning us, all of a humanity, as we move more towards this concept of a collective mind. And as we are forcibly moved to this system, where it's necessary to operate from a world brain concept, we really must then remove, and I'm not speaking on behalf of myself right now, but I'm saying in terms of those that want to have control over this, those that are going to be the head of the technocracy in terms of where they see themselves, they want to remove the ideas and customs and traditions and systems of tribes, nations, as well as personal autonomy, volitional capabilities, etc., as nearly every current system will need to be globally linked and part of the same system. So while you have been going about your life and 
trying to make a living and dealing with the situations that have around us from 2020 to 2022 now, you probably knew nothing about this. You just wanted to get back to normal. We aren't going back to normal. And if we were to get out of the new normal that they're preparing for us, it's going to take an awful lot. But I kind of see some hope that that might starting to be happening. Well, where did these concepts come from? Well, they came from brilliant consequentialists and thinkers. And they came from futurists that consequentially understood that if we were to move from a capitalistic democracy to a synergized socialist technocracy, much like China is today, we needed to ensure that booms and busts, fallible human decisions and things, and tribes and ethnic cultures and habits, those things couldn't get in the way. You couldn't fight for your country. You couldn't fight for your people. You couldn't fight for your nation. So you have to destroy and mock the ideas of peoples, of cultures, of nations, because we're moving towards a gigantic, hegemonic supranation. Because we all have to be part of the same thing. That's been the whole point of multiculturalism that's brought into hegemonic cultures. To break them up, to shatter them, to break them into bits. So then you can at some point mold them together into a monoculture. But it really also is a lot more than just advancing through the free market of ideas that are then embraced by individuals who want to exercise greater individual autonomy. And they want to, of course, then also flex greater individual wealth for themselves. But the fourth industrial revolution, as I said before in the beginning, is really misnamed. Because what is happening really is not an industrial revolution. It is a revolution, no doubt. But it really is an expertly marketed, with all the shine, polish, and applied intelligence of the greatest minds of propaganda the world has ever seen. It has brought together the largest corporations in world history. It has brought to the table all of the nations of the world. It has brought together, for years as a matter of fact, the young leaders over the past 30 years that are now our current leaders, like Dan Crenshaw, Jacinda Ardern, who is the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Vladimir Putin, Angela Merkel, Sergey Brin, Emmanuel Macron, Larry Page, Mark Zuckerberg. All of these names that are the leaders in their respective fields of influence, were all part of the same group at one time or another. And all these leaders in their own areas are part of something much different than another phase of industrial revolution. Because in the previous industrial revolutions, change occurred because of invention, because of innovation, and because of the great promise of the invention and innovation that was created. People gladly bought into the innovation and promise created in each one of the previous industrial revolutions because the previous industrial revolutions benefited everybody and they benefited as well. Capitalism, freedom, liberty, and advanced communication that then transitioned into a greater awareness and learning. And this promoted true tolerance and better understanding of our fellow man because that isn't what the fourth industrial revolution will do. In fact, the fourth industrial revolution is purposed to bring about massive changes 
to the world around us. And the fourth industrial revolution will change us, all of us, all of our nations. Nations will dissolve away in the fourth industrial revolution. Constitutional agreements and rights will dissolve. Work will disappear. So if you really want to know what Klaus Schwab was getting at in his book, The Fourth Industrial Revolution, it can be summed up by another German man whose ideas challenged much of the world a hundred years before Klaus Schwab was born. And here's what that man said. A hundred years before the birth of Klaus Schwab. Quote, The philosophers have only interpreted the world in various ways. The point, however, is to change it. End quote. And the man that penned those words was a man named Karl Marx. And Karl Marx also stated, quote, The theory of communists may be summed up in the single sentence, Abolition of private property. End quote. And yes, the Fourth Industrial Revolution, as conceived by Klaus Schwab, does exactly that to every society and nation in the world. It abolishes private property. And in late-stage communism, as envisioned by Karl Marx, that utopian idea, it abolishes work. So what you're seeing with the idea of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, which is really another communist revolution, you're seeing what really is the quick evolution, the skipping through the processes all the way forward to something completely new. Almost as if communist China, communist Russia had stayed together, Cambodia had continued to go, Cuba was successful in all that it was doing, and it was able to somehow bring itself to where it thought it would be by the time that we actually got to the 21st century, even though many of those communist dictatorships fell apart. So anyway, back to Marx. And basically, Marx created the idea that society's relations of production, arising on the basis of a given productive force, that was the economic base of society to Marx. He also explained that on the foundation of the economic base, there arises certain political institutions, laws, customs, culture, etc., and ideas and ways of thinking, morality, etc., these constitute the political ideological superstructure of society. You can call these superstructures systems. So these systems not only have their origin in the economic base, but their features also ultimately correspond to the character and development of that economic base, like the way people organize society, its relations of production, and its mode of production. But Marx would state that by advancing contradictions, in other words, saying that things that society says are good are actually really bad. Things like individual human liberty, prosperity, the free market, meritocracy. Well, those things are basically bad, and what is needed is collectivism, and only through a collective understanding of how we are all in this together, and how we all must do our part and all strive to give our entire being and existence for the collective good. Only then can man achieve true liberation. And of course, this was also very similar to the views of Rousseau, and very closely associated with the views of Hegel, 
and without a doubt, Gramsci and cultural Marxism had a big part of this. Cultural Marxism as well as envisioned by the Fabians in their own context, and then as well interpreted as Mao came back for a full cultural revolution. But especially these views are developed for our modern times by a man whose name was Herbert Marcuse. And we'll be speaking about Marcuse in length on another episode. And I do encourage you to um, visit my friend's website, New Discourses, that's James Lindsay, as he has done more in-depth on Marcuse than I ever imagined that he actually would. When we first started talking about Marcuse about two years ago, um, I didn't know that he would do this deep of a dive on Herbert Marcuse. But all of this is really developing towards a utopian communism. It's advancing through this system that we have referred to many, many times in the past called the dialectical process. And you might know a bit about the dialectical process through the method known as thesis, antithesis, synthesis. It can also be expressed in the formula problem, reaction, solution. Find a problem or crisis. React strongly to that problem or crisis. And then present your pre-made, prefabricated solution. Because really the solution is what you're after. It's the operational success. And that prefabricated solution to everything that is wrong today is the Fourth Industrial Revolution. And what the neo-Marxists, the Hegelians, the apostles of Marcuse have done together is attempt to jump all the evolution needed in the dialectical process. You know, that constant move steadily, that real long march through the institutions that Rudi Deutschke had talked about. Let's skip all of that evolution that's necessary in the dialectical process, and let's really get to things in that utopia right now. So they want to shove the entire world into late-stage utopian Marxism with a fascist or corporatist fair, because you have to make sure that they're along for the ride too, that there's something in it for them. So it really isn't the fourth industrial revolution. It is the first worldwide enviro-communist, fascist, techno-socialist revolution. <laughs> There's all sorts of things that are along with this. And it really is the worst combination of the worst ideas of all time. And everything in our world will need to, of course, change for Klaus Schwab's revolution to really work. And instead of a giant world war to make this all happen, where destruction of nearly everything would need to take place, because literally no one who has any sense in the world would want this madness to actually happen if they knew about it, well, you have to do what is called framing or operational preparation of the environment first for decades. And then you need to create a worldwide precipitating event that changes everything. Instead of a massive destructive war, you create a great reset of the world. A massive event where you have nearly everyone on earth, everyone gripped in fear all the time. In fact, you need every sector of societal control to push the fear every day. You need the politicians, the media, arts and entertainment, all of the churches, all of the mosques, all of the corporations. 
where the primary solution to calm everyone's fears must be collective. Everyone must participate in the solution. Everyone must be a part of the solution because the solution is rebirth. It's resurrection. It is literally dying to the old world. It is dying to the old systems. And then catapulting and embracing a new path to the first worldwide enviro-communist totalitarian with fascist tendencies revolution. Because that's what this is. It is total totalitarianism. It is digital. We will no longer just have the internet to research, entertain, and communicate at our whims. No, the internet will now be in everything. In everything. The internet will now guide us. It will protect us. It will save us from ourselves. We will be told what to eat, what to think, what to do. And if you voice any displeasure to your new captors in the revolution, then you will violate the new community standards, which are arbitrary and evolving at all times. The idea of family will change. The idea of be fruitful and multiply will change. The concept of heteronormativity will cease to exist. Eventually, a few decades from now, human work will cease. Because if advanced automation and intelligence can take care of all the human jobs and work, then finally, we have Marx's dream. Total liberation. And you might be thinking, there is no way that all of this could be planned just since the summer of 2020. And you are correct. Because you live on the end of a 250-year-long spear. The very tip of it. And to say the very least, this has all been discussed and talked through since the end of the First World War. The world war that the communists thought would spark the world's workers to revolt against their nations. Well, that didn't happen. Because as the new Marxists, the neo-Marxists, the cultural Marxists figured out that you couldn't just point out contradictions. And you also couldn't just seize the means of production. You also had to seize the culture. And that was going to mean a long, long march through each and every human institution. Through education, through corporations, through nations, through the arts and entertainment, through all of the media, and through faith. And that first example of this working was Mao which then transitioned into Dengism under Deng Xiaoping, which is where a fascistic totalitarianism was embraced, and where American money, where American education and intelligence, where American bread but technocratic ideology, and American technology was invested. China, to create the thing that we had to fight against. And then if you did that, the only way to beat China 
was to insist that we shed all of our constitutional chains that hold us down, that would then liberate us to become China. A China that now is already way, way ahead of the United States and Europe in creating the artificially intelligent, the worker-less utopia, the final stage of humankind. A humankind that will be transformed, transitioned into technology itself. And you'll be told that if we don't hurry up to become like China, if we don't do everything we can to rid ourselves of truck drivers, longshoremen, lawyers, educators, of salespersons, of laborers, and of course, anybody that opposes us, we got to get rid of them. Well, if we don't do that, we will lose to China. At the same time, we'll be told that we have killed the planet and that we must now completely disrupt and dismantle our nation's infrastructure. And so here we are. At the end of a 250-year-long spear, I will go into that into much greater detail in future episodes, and we will help you not just to prepare, but to resist and end this sick and twisted dream of the most reprehensible human beings in history. And ladies and gentlemen, this is the thing that we must rally around. That the American experiment, the experiment known as the United States and the U.S. Constitution, must become more than just an experiment. And truth, objective truth, must be at the very core. I'm Michael O'Fallon, and this has been Public Occurrences, Both Foreign and Domestic. Thank you.